0: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash ringer NFL. Just go to indeed.com slash ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like?
0: It is the ringer NFL show, part of the ringer podcast network. I am Kevin Clark. Amazingly insightful show today with some smart people. James Jones, my colleague on the ringer NFL show feed, joins me on the top half to talk about the NFC, the Packers. He has some really cool insight on not only playing with Aaron Rodgers, uh, getting hot at the right time, um, which applies to basically every team that's in the hunt right now, Um, playing in cold weather, which is going to be a topic in the next couple of weeks, especially if the Packers hold on to that home field advantage. A really insightful interview with James. And then Danny Kelly and Stephen Ruiz joined me to play a game of Take Mulligan. Really, really fun. Uh, we basically apologize for our worst takes and figure out what went wrong, and we come up with new takes. So let's get to James. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the
2: State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that.
1: Shop delivery or pickup options near you at Ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
0: All right, James Jones, longtime NFL receiver, um, co-host of the Tuesday show on this feed. Uh, One of my favorite media personalities. James, what's going on, man?
3: What's up, my brother? I'm just hanging, man, chilling out here in Arizona, man. You know, watching some football, coaching my kids, man, all the same stuff.
0: That sounds pretty good. We never do weather talk. We're told not to do weather talk <laughs> on on podcasts. But when it's when I'm in Brooklyn and you're in Arizona, that's the only thing. I mean, like, that's the only two talk about. So producer yeah. Steph and I are ready to get get on a plane in JFK and come stay in New York man, y'all, y'all,
3: more than welcome to come out here, man. Hey, I played in Green Bay for so long. That's why I'm in Arizona.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's. I would go to Green Bay for the playoffs almost every single year, and. It is unbelievable how cold it gets. Like unbelievable. Like, however cold you think it gets, it's yep. colder.
3: Yeah, and people don't understand how hard it is to play in that man. Hands yep. frozen, feet frozen. You're trying to run fast, do all that snot frozen the face. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's tough, man. But hey, best place in the world to play football.
0: <laughs> I want to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I want to start with this because we're getting into the home stretch here, and the NFC. Is so top heavy. Reminds me a little bit of almost the maybe the 2014 season, um, the year that the, the Dez caught it or didn't catch a game, um, where the Packers lost the NFC Championship game to, to the Seahawks. Where there's just a lot of teams that could conceivably win win the NFC, James. And I'm curious. Everyone talks about getting right at the uh, getting hot at the right time, and and oh, you know, it's going to come down to whoever whoever starts playing the best football in January. And I'm curious. You hear that cliche over and over and over again. And having played for good teams, I'm curious. Like, what that actually means. Like, what is, when we say, oh, we're getting hot at the right time, is there anything a coach can do? Is there anything you can practice during the season to be playing your best football in December and January when it matters so much this year? Like, what are we talking about when we talk about getting hot this time of year?
3: Well, the main thing we're talking about is, is what you see on film, you right. know? And that's how you that's how you know you're getting hot as a football team and you know you're heading in the right direction. It's not necessarily we scoring 50 points a game. It's not necessarily you holding people to three points a game on defense. But when you know you're getting hot is when you're going through the season. You're like, man, if we just do this and we just do that, we get a little better on third down. We start doing this. We start doing that. And that stuff starts showing up on the film. When you walk into the film and it starts showing up on the film every week and you're coming into the playoffs, that confidence that you get from watching yourself on film, like, man, this is what we've talked about in week seven, and it's happening. This is what we're talking about in week thirteen, and it's happening. And you just like, man, we are going to be unstoppable as you watch yourself on film. And then when you bring that stuff to the field, you know what I'm saying? You just continue to play at a high level. That's how you know you are a very hot team. But it starts with the confidence that you get from the film room. You know Could what you- I mean? It's not just, yeah. It's not just you come out there put up 51. We can go watch the film, and you're like, man, we still didn't play well. You know what I mean? It starts from the confidence that you get from that film room watching yourself play. And then when you get on the field, your confidence is sky high, man, and you're doing the things that you was, you was trying to do early in the season.
0: When you're in the locker room, can you feel it coming? In 2011, did you guys in late December say, okay, we're actually going to go on a run here, or do you not kind of know it until you see it?
3: I tell people all the time, man, I, I, I share this story. Um, and it's crazy because when we were in the playoffs and we we had uh, we had uh, beat the Giants and we were on our mm-hmm. way to, to Atlanta, I remember getting off the bus, and I don't know why I just was looking at everybody get off the bus, and everybody had this walk like <laughs> we can't be, we can't be beat like these yeah. we coming in here to play the number one seed. You had the Falcons put up points, but everybody had so much swagger and confidence walking off that bus. Like man, they done messed up. They playing the wrong. <laughs> they they playing the wrong team, and you could see it. You know what I mean? You you can see it. And and it was strictly because the confidence that we built, the confidence that we built those last two weeks and and looking at yourself on film, like, finally, we done put it all together. Like, you know, these dudes is in trouble. You know what I'm saying? And and the confidence just was contagious, man, around the ball club. Like, we knew we knew we weren't going to lose. We, we knew the way we were playing, we knew we weren't going to lose. And that's how guys got off the bus and was walking off the bus, man. It was just – it was a great – I wish I had a video recorder. I would have recorded <laughs> everybody's flag walking off the – but it was just – you could tell that people was just confident, man, on the ball club that, man, we can't be beat.
0: Um, big picture question before we get into the actual nitty-gritty of, of talking about these NFC teams. Are the Packers the best team in the NFC?
3: No doubt about it. And the reason why I say that is because they're the most consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 get up there and, and, and you watch teams and, and you watch the Cardinals, you watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's playing well right now. Sure. But, you know, the Packers have been the most consistent. You know what I mean? Even in the losses, they have played well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that and that and that right there and that right there is confidence. It's not like you lose and you know, Tampa Bay losing to the Saints and you just lay an egg, turning the ball over, stinking it up. The Packers, the Packers have really played well every game. Has has some people made a couple more plays than them? Absolutely. You know what I mean? But just the most consistent team on offense and defense right now is the Green Bay Packers. And I, I believe that's why they're the best team in the national I mean, especially on the NFC side right now. You know, because because of that, because of the consistency, it hasn't been a game to where they came out. You're just like, what in the world are they doing? Except week one. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Other than week one, it's been, you know, the Packers has been the most consistent team in the National Football League. You know, and if people got to come through Lambo, it's going to be trouble. But, you know, yeah, for me, it's for me, they're the best team in the NFC because they're the most consistent and they can win either way. They've showed you that they can win on defense. They showed you that they could win just running the football, and obviously they could win with twelve throwing the ball all over the yard.
0: Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is playing an MVP level, um, and that's that is the biggest part of all of this. That's the biggest piece of all of this. Um, but Matt Lafleur is t- statistically one of the best coaches uh, ever when you look at winning percentage. What is he yeah. doing uh, to to help Aaron Rodgers? Like, what does this offense do that that maximizes him that people don't talk enough about, James?
3: Well, number one, I, f- I love the way Coach LaFleur runs the ball, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's getting creative running the football, because when you're able to run the football and you get 12 in the play-action pass game, it, it, it's it's going to be unstoppable when you, when you let Aaron Rodgers sit back there in the play-action pass game and be able to get that ball out of his hands. So I think what LaFleur has came in there and done, he has got creative with his run game, and now teams are having to bring an extra guy down there in the box to be able to stop this run yep. game. And obviously Aaron is one of the smartest quarterbacks in the National Football League or ever to play this game. So now he knows it's only certain looks that he's going to get out of that. You know what I'm saying? And now we're going to play action pass and and, then, and these are the things that we're looking at. So I feel like Coach DuPort has done an excellent job at that. You know, I felt like at times Coach Mike kind of got so comfortable in having a lot of talent sure. where it was just line up and play. You know what I mean? Coach LaFleur is scheming the heck out of people. You know what I mean? Like you watch that Cardinals game where he didn't have any of his top three receivers. He schemed the heck out of the Cardinals defense. Run game, getting the ball out of Aaron's hands quick. You know what I'm saying? But each week it seems like he has a different nugget for Aaron Rodgers to be able to attack the defense. Sometimes it's getting the ball out of your hands extremely fast. Sometimes we're looking for these deep shots down the field. You know what I mean? But just the way he changes up the looks and helps Aaron Rodgers know exactly what's coming before the snap. That's why Aaron Rodgers, I feel, is playing at an extremely high level since Coach before been in the building.
0: I completely agree about the McCarthy thing because it did seem like he got very, very comfortable later in his tenure there, and, and the schemes didn't have the edge they had at the beginning. And well, I think yeah. the the big thing, James, as you know, is like no one wins the Super Bowl because they have a great quarterback. It's because everybody works together. They support the quarterback. They figure out what to do with the great quarterback, right? There's, the history of the NFL is littered with a bunch of great quarterbacks to get wasted, and the Fleur seems to be pushing all the right buttons. Um, I want to go back to something you said. You said Rodgers is, is, might be the smartest quarterback in football. We know that. Um, I mean, this is a guy who's hosted posted jeopardy. Like, we understand that. But on the field, uh, no one is better at deciphering um, what needs to be deciphered very quickly and just putting guys in hell. Um, give me a story having played with him so long and and being one of his favorite receivers of all time, where you were like, Oh my God, this guy can do whatever he wants on the field and can take advantage of whatever with his, with his brain.
3: Well, number one, I'll never forget this play that we had, um, probably 2000, 2009, um, we played in the Denver Broncos and. I have a post route on, a red zone post. We don't like the Mm -hmm. 25-yard line. I got a red zone post on. When you're in the red zone, you are taught to cross the defender's face no matter what because you have to protect the quarterback's throw if he throws you this post. You cannot go behind him. The red Mm -hmm. zone is too crunched in. If you go behind him, it is going to be a pick. And at the time, man, this cornerback was so far inside on me. I'm like, there ain't no way. And I'm crossing his face and getting inside of him. Like, I mean, I'm going to be, you know, my grandma watching the games. I'm going to be looking like I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing out here because I'm just getting jammed up crossing the dude's face, you know. So so I said, F it, man. I'm just going to have an M.A. I'm going to have a missed assignment. <laughs> I'm going behind him. Yeah. And as I went behind him and I turned, the ball was coming. And it's probably the greatest throw I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm going like this, the defender, they can't see because it's the pod, but the, the defender's right here, and that ball came right below his waist, right in my hands, and as I went back to the sideline, I'm like, man, my bad, man, I'm like, yeah, we scored, but I'm like, I know I ain't supposed to be he was like, that's exactly what I wanted you to do, he said, <laughs> I, he said, I was looking at the defense, JJ, and he said, I hope JJ don't go in front of this man, <laughs> I hope he goes behind, oh, but. wow. But but that that's just one of the stories where I'm like, man, this dude is on a whole nother level. Not not, not even strictly because of the throw, just because of how he thinks, man. Yeah. And it's been it's been plenty of stories to where I've been on the field with Aaron, and Aaron is calling out the defenses blitzes. Yeah. Calling out they you know what I mean? He gets you with the green it. Hey, here come the green dog. Here come the like calling out their defense. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we before we break the huddle. You know, it was one time before <laughs> we break the huddle, we played in Tampa Bay Buccaneers and he said, "Look at third and 3." He said, "I guarantee you they're going to come out. They're going to play press-bail. They're going to be inside leverage press-bail." He said, "We coming out." He said, "Coach Mike called this. We coming out, we running, we running all hitches." They're going to be press, bell. and the boys came out press-bail before the snap. You know what I'm saying? And and just for his IQ to be like that and there I know he 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 does a lot of he does a lot of film study and does a lot of that stuff, but Aaron's IQ man is second to none man and and that's why he's so special
0: wow um that's amazing. Uh, I, I want to get to the other NFC teams here. Um, how do you sort of view the hierarchy here? Do you view, you look at the consistency of, of a team from week to week? I know you mentioned the Packers and their consistency. But When you're kind of handicapping what it looks like uh, for January, do you look at ceilings? Do you say, hey, the Rams could be this? They look great on Monday night. Like, how do you, you know, the Cardinals obviously have, have as high a ceiling as anybody with Kyler Murray and the way he's played. How do you see the, the rest of the NFC shaking out? And how do you even judge teams this time of year, James?
3: Man, for me, I'm strictly, I go off the eyeball test. You know, I strictly go off the eyeball test. I look at teams like the Minnesota Vikings, who are an excellent football team in my book that has shot themselves in the foot. They easily should have four more wins right now and be at the top of the NFC. If the kickers don't miss field goals, if Dalvin Cook (laughs) don't fumble the ball in Cincinnati, like it's just really little things that's holding them back. They have been in every game. They have not went into a game and just got blown out. They have been in every single game that they've played in and lost a lot of of close games. So the Minnesota Vikings, with my eyeball test, is a team that not a lot of people want to go play right now. Mm -hmm. They can run it. Kirk Cousins can throw it. You're going to get Adam Thielen back healthy. You just got Barr back on your defense healthy. It's not a lot of people who want to play the Minnesota Vikings right now. And I feel the same about the 49ers. The 49ers was on the street. They yeah. they they took they they took a L. No Debo Samuels took a tough L to Seattle Seahawks, and you come back with Debo Samuels and you beat a really good Cincinnati team. But the 49ers is a team that knows exactly who they are. They gonna run the air out of the football, they're gonna play defense, and Jimmy G gonna play action pass, get it to Kittle and Debo. You know, so that's another scary team. Like I know the Packers 10 and three, Cardinals 10 and three, Tampa 10 and three, but it's a lot of teams. I know them 10 to 3 teams up there. Yeah. It's like, well, we, hopefully, we don't strike them dudes on the first round. That's interesting. You know, because I, yes, because I think this NFC could really shake out. I will not be surprised if Minnesota gets in. I will not be. I mean, the Niners is already in there. They just got to keep going. But I will not be surprised if either of these teams come out of week one in the playoffs with a W.
0: If you're the Packers, who's the team you least want to see in the NFC title game?
3: Oh man, if I'm a Packers and I'm in that locker room, bring on everybody! But um, <laughs> um shoot, man, I mean, that's on the bubble, or that's 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 that's
0: anybody, anybody could be anybody, anybody in the NFC. we
3: um, I, I, for me it will be for me it will be the Niners. For me oh, it will wow. be the Niners, and the reason why I say the Niners is because we know how Cal, Cal Shanahan can scheme. Yep. And to be honest with you, I feel like this team is one of the few teams that's built to win in the cold. Yep. You know what I mean? You know, so Car- the Arizona Cardinals ain't coming to Lambeau winning. You no. Know? <laughs> right. But I feel like the Niners is built to win anyway, anywhere, anywhere if they play the right football. They can run the football, like I said, they got Kittle mm-hmm. and Debo that they throw it to. They play really good defense. So they're a team that I feel like if they strike fire on any given Sunday. They can mess around and send anybody home.
0: You talked about playing in the cold. It's interesting to me because everybody I talked to this year says, you know, with the expanded season and all that stuff, um, getting the bye is so unbelievably important and home field yeah. is so unbelievably important. Now, and, and the bye is more important than, than the home field, but obviously you'd want both because, you know, it, it's just better to have home field than not. If the Packers get the home field in the nfc title game take me through what we don't talk about enough as far as playing in the cold going up there i mean it's not just you know my my fingertips are frozen it's you can't even talk on the sidelines sometimes if you're just not used to it i mean you know again i'm from florida i go up there just to write about it my you know i can't even type you know it's just you you have a a total total meltdown because of the cold um when you're playing a playoff game in january what happens up there
3: well, first off, it's the mental part of it, you know. <laughs> and that's what we always used to talk about in the locker room. It's yeah. the mental part of it. If you come out there, obviously it's the playoffs. If you come out there in the playoffs, you're going to be amped up. Warm-ups, you're going to yeah. be amped up. We've seen a lot of former t- players from teams that they come in there, whether it's the Giants, the Bucks, the the Eagles, whoever want to come in there, they taking their shirts off, warming up before the game starts and all that, you know what I mean, letting them know we're ready, it ain't cold and all that. But <laughs> – for for us we know it's a mental thing. Yeah. So we know when you come out here and we start playing this game and we already know your toes frozen and your hands frozen. And we jump up out on you 100, you're going to start thinking about that cold. <laughs> you're going to start <laughs> you're going to start wanting to get up out of here. You know what I mean? But but I mean the, the cold is for real. Like you said your yeah. hands freeze. Your your toes freeze. The ball is rock hard. The ball is hard to grip. The ball and and on top of all that, when you losing, that cold kick in even more. You know what yep. I'm saying? So we know that when we able to jump out on you and we able to get you at Lambeau Field when it's nice and cold, the, the mental part of the game kicks in. And not only that, you got to worry about a lot of things change. You're yep. getting in and out of yep. your routes different. Yeah, you know what I mean. In certain, that, yeah. break, in certain ways, you got to break. You certain ways, you got to break on the ball. You know, certain, certain things you got to do to get in and out of your break. It's a little bit more slippery. Certain cleats you got to wear and all that. So it's a lot of stuff that goes in when you play it in cold weather. It ain't just that, hey, man, my hands are frozen. It's a lot of little things that go into that. But the biggest part about it is the mental part of it.
0: I was going to ask about that, the, the, the routes and stuff, because obviously you want to run the ball more. There's certain things you can't do. But, like, how does stylistically, how does a team have to change when it's 15 degrees versus, versus 70 degrees. Like aside from just the run pass ratio.
3: Well, see, num- number one, that, that's the blessing about us being able to practice in it. You right. know what I mean? Because we, we know exactly what to wear. We know exactly, you know, what gloves to wear, what cleats to wear and all that. We know exactly how to catch the football, you know what I'm saying? In, in that yeah. cold, you know, so, you know, being able to practice in it definitely gives you, gives you an advantage, but. When you're running your routes, man, I mean, the the your routes, you, you got to, you know, it's they, they're not they're not as fast. Right. You know, and a lot of a lot of people don't understand that. You know, a lot of guys try to come out there and run at full speed and all, they're not as fast because when you start to stop and, you know, the ground is cold and the ground is frozen a little bit, it's going to be much harder to get in and out of your break, you know, so. Sometimes you got to cool your routes and all that down. I don't want to give too much info because people are going to listen to this pod and say, we go to Green Bay. James told, taught us how to play in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no. But, uh, yes, you know, sometimes you, as a professional, you got to know It's certain times in this cold where I'm going to come off the ball and I'm going to run my route full speed. It's sometimes in the cold you're like, okay, this is how I got to use a little bit more body control. This is how I got to run this route in the cold, you know, strictly because it's slick. It's cold. I got to get in and out of my break. My cleats ain't digging in the grass like like I want them to dig in the grass, you know. So it's a lot of stuff that goes in it.
0: Uh, last thing we'll get you out on this because the, the topic of this is, is are the Packers going to win the NFC. Right now, just right now, we're not going to hold you to it. December 15th. Who's your Super Bowl pick right now? What Who are the two teams?
3: Ooh, we will number one on the NFC side. I got the Packers going. Sure. I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody coming in, especially if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers could hold on to that number one seed. I don't, I don't see another Tampa Bay team coming in there beating the Packers. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but they shouldn't have got that done last year if we don't make a couple stupid mistakes. <laughs> but um, at the same time, they did. But I, to be honest with you, I like the Packers, and I mean, I hate to say it, but I don't know if there's anybody gonna knock the Patriots off, man. Wow. I mean, I, I I truly believe that it's between the Patriots and the Colts. I think the Colts are a team that when they get in this playoffs, I don't care about Kansas City, I don't care about none of that. When these Colts and these Patriots get in this playoffs, I don't I don't know who's gonna knock these two off. So I see it AFC championship. I see it being a rematch of this Saturday. Colts and the Colts and the Patriots. Ah. And right. to be honest with that. you, to be honest with you, uh I I mean, it'll it'll be tough for me to go against Bill Belichick, but I think we're going to have a rookie in the Super Bowl, man. I think it's going to be Patriots Packers.
0: Unbelievable. All right. James Jones, thank you so much. You lit it up. Appreciate you, man.
4: Not a problem, man. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
0: The uh, Ringer, Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, what's going on, bud? Not much. Danny Kelly,
5: who's not Yo. been on this show in
0: many months.
2: I know it's good to be back. Feels great. Wait,
5: are you was doing? was your last appearance my first appearance on the show before I was hired? It might have
2: been. I remember. Might have been being on it. I did go on with uh, Mal and Nora like a couple of weeks ago to talk about my good old Seahawks, but different, different show, kind of. Stephen, are you Same bringing theme. that
0: up? Are you just bringing that up because there was a market correction? And then I, I was just blown away by your
5: appearance. And I was like, no
4: That's more right. DK. That's right. That's really...
2: <laughs> hey,
4: that was my moment.
5: That was my breakout moment.
2: <laughs> they don't need me anymore.
0: <laughs> Shit. Um, so we're doing something <laughs> we've done over the past couple of years. So it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I believe the last time I did it was with Danny and Nora. Yeah. at uh, Midway point of last season. Um, and it's the take the take mulligan. Um, take amnesty, whatever you want to call it. We come with our worst takes. And listen, I gotta be honest with you, Danny and I were talking about this last night. Our takes are pretty good. <laughs> like our takes were pretty good this year. Like I pretty I had the Seahawks as too good. We'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Mac Jones I had as rookie of the year. Michael Parsons I had as as defensive rookie of the year. Stafford MVP was bad, but that's that's whatever. I had Belichick
2: like, as coach of the year.
0: That's right. That's right. But like That'd in general, good. we didn't have like massive misses. But we all have our faults and we, we were we led people astray on a number of different takes this year. And this is our opportunity to atone for our take since. Steven Ruiz, give me the take Mulligan, your first one that you're taking back for
5: 2021. All right, I'm starting with Mac Jones. I'm not Ooh. I'm not gonna say I was wrong right. about right. Mac Jones not being a, a top of the first round prospect, but <laughs> I did not think the Pat's personnel fit Mac. Jones and I thought this offense was not going to work because they didn't have receivers and I thought Mac Jones needed to be in an offense like a spread offense where the receivers win really quickly they went on like quick slants quick outs and Mac Jones would give them the ball but they don't have that they don't have receivers that win on the outside they play fullbacks and tight ends and run these condensed sets and it's still working it doesn't matter it's like one of the better offenses in the league and I, I didn't think it was going to work I'm an idiot
0: <laughs> alright let's go through the process here. why did you not think it was going to work
5: I just explained because I thought he needed good wide receivers who could win one-on-one matchups to be the best version of himself, and they don't have that. So the new take is what? My new take is that we're doing the wrong Patriots Super Bowl offense comp. Like Everyone wants to compare it to 2001, the -hmm. 2001, uh, not rookie year, but second year Brady offense, but it's the 2018 offense that this really looks like. And you have to remember that Tom Brady didn't look too hot. At the end, the second half of that 2018 season, when yeah. they went on that run to make the Super Bowl, they had to like turn into a play action heavy offense to get the best out of them. And I'd argue that Mac Jones looks better this year than Tom Brady did in 2018. Whoa! The second half of the season. That's my <laughs> that's my new take. That that's, is a good not, take. that's
0: not that's uh, not That's not totally crazy. Like Tom Brady looked looked didn't okay. I, I t- that's not insane. Danny Kelly, what yeah. do you think about Stephen Ruiz's apology for his take and the new take?
2: I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, so I I came in with some reservations too on Mac Jones. I mean, you know, people talked about him um, being like the most polished quarterback, but that was just, I think, just because he was like a tall white guy, and like <laughs> it didn't really have anything to do with the fact that you know, like what he did in college. Because he he's the he's the same as a lot of not these even other that quarterbacks tall.
0: That he's only six <laughs> three.
2: Right. He came out. Um, you know, he was a starter for like a year and half a year. So like right. he didn't have a ton of experience. Um, it's not like he was running like a under center, like old school West Coast offense at Alabama. Like, you know, they were like in shotgun a lot, like passing downfield. So I think it was always kind of a misnomer that he was like this polished guy, but I will say he looks really polished. Like he looks like yeah. he's very like he's a calm presence on the field. He doesn't get rattled he's he's played he's thrown with accuracy um he's like done all the things that you would expect of like a quote polished quarterback to do and like he's been um like the moment's not too big for him i guess is kind of like what i'm getting to and so he i think that's definitely been um not necessarily like a huge surprise because i will say i did pick Mac jones for offensive rookie of the year um in our preseason whatever preview post and so um it's not a huge surprise to me that like he's been playing well in this system but i think Steven, your points are all very like applicable. Like I, I think they all made sense like with what we knew coming into the season. So um it it has been a big surprise, I think, how quickly I guess he's adapted to this offense.
0: What's your first take, Mulligan, Danny Kelly?
2: So my take my, my first take Mulligan is basically the big picture is I thought Washington was gonna be good. So I had Chase Young as defensive player of the year, which really didn't work out. Obviously he did get hurt, but before that He had one and a half sacks, 23 pressures. He wasn't the big impact second year jump type guy that I thought he was going to be. I thought overall Washington's defense was going to be like elite shutdown group that just absolutely dominated. And bottom line, I thought Washington was going to be like a playoff team and be pretty good, like maybe even like a sneaky Super Bowl team. And none of that happened. Um, So I think like. There's a few lessons here. Number one, like defense is not necessarily sticky year over year. There's sure. a lot of variables that go into that. Um, and look, they're six and seven, so they still might make the playoffs, but they're just not the team I thought they were going to be is kind of the deal. And, and I think like obviously with Fitzpatrick getting hurt, um, I don't think Heineke is the type of player to elevate a team. He's, you know, got some grit, got some moxie, all that stuff. But like he's just, you know, he's a limited passer in a lot of ways and so i don't think that he's elevated that team and there's just they've dealt with injuries they've dealt with other things and um i guess my my biggest regret is like believing in, in washington before the year
0: i would say that consistently over the past maybe 20 years most people have regretted <laughs> believing right in washington uh, is there a new take
2: um i don't know if there's like a new take i think my my new take is it's like the new take is always, never
0: believe in Washington. <laughs> yeah, maybe
2: that's the new take. Like well, I don't know why I didn't just believe the Cowboys were going to be good. Like I, I think mm-hmm. the new take is like the Cowboys were obviously well, always obviously going to be the.
0: May best I qualify team. that? May I qualify that? Because I talked up the Cowboys all summer, like there you, you did, and then I switched because when we made our prediction posts, including on the podcast and in 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 print, um, the Dak Prescott injury. Was weird. Remember, it was like the it's not a setback thing. Jerry Jones had called the Texas oh, yeah, Rangers yeah. because of mm-hmm. such a weird injury. Like I, I in I particular, I slept yeah. on the Cowboys because of that. Like I picked the football team to win the division, even though I would spent months saying the Cowboys were a Super Bowl contender because I was like, oh, Dak is hurt, hurt, and and that's that's sort of why I backed that backed off. Here's that's that's
5: fair. Here's where Danny kind of lost the plot with Washington. He had way too much faith in Jack Del Rio, who, yes. <laughs> who right. would probably, who had probably had a busy offseason, like not football wise, but just you know posting, <laughs>
2: reacting posting to the and news, and posting, yeah. yeah, shit posting, <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, that's the problem. Relying on Jack Del Rio in twenty twenty one, not, not, we'll just, not let good,
0: you, right. let just let just just pull on the thread here, since Jack believes certain things. Does he believe this, uh, like a, a shadow second defense that's actually playing really, really well? <laughs>
5: One could argue that there has been in the second half of the year, and that, yeah, Washington's turnaround is akin to maybe JFK Jr. reemerging into society.
0: Let's get off this topic. This as quickly is exactly as we
5: where I was hoping can. we'd go with this.
2: Yeah, I like let's, how you let's, went let's, with quickly.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um. So, Danny came on the pod over the summer. We did our top ten GMs. Danny had Bill Belichick number one. I had Kevin Colbert number one. Nora and I did not think that, on the basis of his performance for the past few years, that Bill Belichick was even a top ten general manager or executive, whatever you want to call, it, right. personnel czar. I was completely wrong. Um, I'm an idiot. Well, obviously, I had Bill Belichick as as a top the, the top coach. He's the best right. coach in the history of football. But I thought the way he'd whiffed on the draft. I thought the way he had depleted the roster to the point that Tom Brady didn't want to play there anymore. Um, some of his personnel moves were head-scratching. I thought that Bill Belichick's time as the best team builder in the history of the sport. I mean, like, no one controlled their roster as well as Tom as uh, as well as Bill Belichick did. No one controlled the draft as well as, as, as Bill Belichick did. And so I thought that he'd had an unprecedented run, but that it was over. I was completely, completely wrong. Um, his 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 draft was obviously unbelievable. He um, knew exactly what to do with the quarterback position. He took free agency and bent it to his will and uh, you know Robert <laughs> Kraft came out and said, "Oh, well, you know, we have we have money, nobody else does. That's an inefficiency." I thought that was complete um, I don't know, junk. I thought they were just making it up as they went along. I was wrong. Like they 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 Matthew Judon is the signing of the year. Yeah. Um, as far as the big ticket guys go, I think the, you know, obviously, like the Packers getting a bunch of guys for a million dollars to ball out is is it kind of a separate category. But uh, Bill Belichick is still really smart, and uh, I'm an idiot.
5: Is that the new take? Bill Belichick is good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. It's the new take. You should have stuck <laughs>
2: with Bill Belichick. Is really good at this. I think is kind of like the lesson here. Yeah, I mean, I, when I came into that argument, I was shocked you guys didn't have him in the top ten. And for me, it was like a I think there certainly was some sort of like recency thing going on where, you know, you look at some big whiffs in the draft, but like overall, man, like if you look at his pre agent signings over the year, the guys that he's sort of rehabilitated, like Randy Moss, uh, Wes Walker, Corey Dillon, all that stuff. He signed some really top tier defensive players over the years, Um, you know, Stefan Gilmore. The list goes on. But like basically, like I look at the big picture, man. He's like, there has to be a strong, strong correlation between his team building ability as a gm slash executive and their success consistently every year for like 20 years so that was like kind of where i was coming at from so um i appreciate you uh bringing that one back up i did always i did
5: find like the hand wringing over the the spending spree kind of odd like what should the patriots have saved that money for they had nobody to resign they they didn't have any like up-and-coming draft picks that they needed to give a big contract to. Like, there was the only thing they could do was spend that money on good players. And that was <laughs> the problem last year. They didn't have enough good players. The defense was just horribly undermanned. The front seven was awful. I don't even know how some of those guys got on the field. So it makes sense that signing good players has led to this because Bill Belichick is a great coach. And that should have given people more optimism about the signings working out. And they have worked out.
0: The new take is not even a new take because I'm a huge dumbass.
5: <laughs> I'm pretty sure Danny just said that that's how he felt when you guys did the top 10 GM rankings a couple months ago. I was surprised. So it's not a new take for him. I was
2: surprised. I'll just put it
5: that way. I mean, I've had
0: Bill Belichick as number one GM for like eight years. And then and then the one <laughs> yeah. year I'm like, eh, he's falling out. He just, like, dressed Christian Barmore. I, like, I mean, this this whole
5: thing. I, yeah. I used to do uh, GM rankings every year and... I had him number one for, like, the first four years I did it, and then I put Howie Roseman as, as number one. Oh, no. That has, that has backfired <laughs> how's, horribly. That, how's that I'm, take? How's that the take? The milk's dumbass? gone bad. I'm, yeah. I'm also a dumbass. All right, Stephen, what's your second? All right, my uh second take, I, I pick Lamar to win MVP. Mm. And I don't know, guys, I don't think he's going to win MVP. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that out there. That's my new take, that he's not going to win MVP. No, my new, state, my new take is this is actually a good thing for the Ravens. Like this season has gone horribly bad, and I know the injuries have played a big role in it, but the offense has scored what, like six touchdowns in the last month, and I think mm-hmm. this is it, this is as drastic as a slump as they need it to move on from Greg Roman finally. So I think it's one step back for two steps forward in the future if they find the right offensive coordinator. That's my new take that this is actually a good thing that the Ravens aren't playing well this year. Can you you're writing this, I know, but can you
0: give the folks a preview a little bit of, of, of what your take is on Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson's and their and their partnership?
5: Yeah, so I think this all goes back to that Titans game, the playoff loss where the Titans basically loaded the box. I think Logan Ryan said we played engage eight and we loaded the box. We had nine people in the box every time we took away the run and dared them to beat us on the outside. And everyone was like, oh, that's a blueprint for beating Lamar. It's not the blueprint for beating Lamar, though, in my opinion, it's a blueprint for beating Greg Roman's offense, no matter who the quarterback is. Greg Roman's offense puts multiple backs on the field, multiple tight tight ends on the field. So the defense doesn't have to worry about those vertical threats because they're all in the backfield and you can't get downfield from the backfield. So it makes it easier to to play basically blitz coverage and load of the box. And I think that's the reason why they haven't been able to adjust for sustained periods of time since that loss.
0: Hmm. Danny, Lamar Jackson.
2: I'm very curious if they actually will pull the trigger in and fire greg roman or not like i think you know they're the one of those they're they're like the steelers in a way where they value continuity and and almost to a fault sometimes where you're just like we're gonna stick with this guy and just like ride out like the volatility but yeah i think this is going to be such a fascinating offseason for them because you know in a lot of ways they were sort of forced to go a little more pass heavy than they wanted to be probably because of all the injuries on offensive line and the running backs and um but like at the same time like I think this is where they need to be going. Like, they need to... And and where they've been telling us they want to go is, like, you know, they've been drafting all these first-round receivers. They, you know, design an offense around uh, Lamar Jackson. I think, you know, the next step would be improving, like, continuing to improve that pass offense. And I guess the question is, can they do that with Roman?
5: Remember, like late last year when everyone was like, oh, the Ravens just need a pass game coordinator. And then it turned out that they had one on staff already, and then he ended up being the head coach of the Texans. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, was <with> David Culley. <laughs> that was so I actually
0: think that, that yeah. David Culley being the pass game coordinator might speak to a larger symptom now that we've seen <laughs> David Culley's performance as head coach.
5: But here's my thing. like, What can a pass coordinator do? Like, You bring in a pass coordinator independent of Greg Roman's scheme, and Greg Roman goes, okay, here's the formations we play. We have a fullback. We have Patrick Ricard in the backfield and Mark Andrews and another no-name tight end. What is a pass game coordinator supposed to do with that? How do you design pass concepts with Ricard in the slot? Also, I just like the idea of just, like, that's the fix
0: if they needed a passing game coordinator. It's like, oh, no, we actually, like, thinking of the half-passing plays. Like, the problem is just (laughs) the design of the offense, not, like, there's not a guy who's saying, "Maybe maybe we should coordinate the passing game here. No, dude, I think they got it. I think we're good here. Um...
5: Is there a new take or is it just that, that Greg Roman should not be the coordinator anymore? Oh, no. The new take was that a bad season in Baltimore this year is actually a good thing for the future. Got and it. just to respond to one thing that Danny said, I do agree that the Ravens like value continuity, but John Harbaugh fired an offensive coordinator midway through the season and then won a Super Bowl. So I think he realizes yeah. the yeah. effect of that it, it could have. Good Cam Cameron? Cam Cameron. Yeah. Cam he
0: fired Monty Morningwood too. But
5: that was, oh, yeah, I think yeah. that was
0: after the season. Um... Cam Cameron, I mean, Cam Cameron deserves to be fired from every job he's ever had, so that's that Danny <laughs> Kelly, your second one.
2: All right, so this one's like micro and it, it's a little bit fantasy related. I acknowledge, uh, oh, come Middle on, State fantasy football podcast. But come on, brother, the year, you don't come
0: to this side of the street and give fantasy takes.
2: I think it's, I think it's applicable enough to what's going to happen down the stretch <laughs> here that it's worth <laughs> talking, talking about. You. All right, I uh before the year, we did a, we did an episode called the Take Purge where we just basically did our hottest takes, and I said that Ronald mm-hmm. Jones was going to be an RB one. In other words, he was going to be like a star sure. this year. And I just got his lunch eaten. Picked I picked the wrong guy. I just yep. picked the wrong guy, man. I kind of so like basically the bottom line is I, I was sort of out on Leonard Fournette before the year as like a talent, as a guy that's going to get a lot of volume and earn a lot of volume and play well. And I was just straight up wrong. Like he's the new take for me is like Leonard Fournette is pretty good. <laughs> Like I've been pretty impressed, honestly, with what I've seen just from a talent standpoint. The what the way he runs, um, his you know yards after the after contact, his uh explosive run ability. Like we saw this last week, he had like a forty-something yard uh, touchdown run, like breakaway run. He's actually made a bunch of really nice runs this year. And I was coming in basically thinking he was just like a jag, like not not a Jacksonville Jaguar, like a, just a guy, like he's just another player. And I thought that Ronald Jones was gonna kind of like you know, overtake him. And so I underestimated the trust factor. I think that Brady has with Fournette that he earned that Fournette earned in like this playoff run last year. And that's obviously a big deal. Um, and again, I'm just going to say it like Fournette is much better than I thought he was going to be talent wise this year as a runner. He, by the way, also he's a good pass catcher. He leads all running backs catches this year, which I think like if you would have told me that before the season, I'd been like, what the hell are you talking about? Because I thought like Gio Bernard was going to be involved in all this stuff. So yeah. um, this is a Mia culpa for, Doubting Leonard Fournette. I've always, and the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, we've always been like fans of Leonard Fournette. We love Leonard Fournette on the fantasy show. Um, And like my biggest mistake was doubting him. So I regret that.
0: So I have, well, actually, let's unpack the the Bucs thing here for a second, Steven. Leonard Fournette, did you see this coming?
5: No, I didn't. Can I add a take on to Danny's new take? P- please. My new take is that Leonard Fournette and not Tom Brady changed the culture in Tampa Bay.
2: Whoa, I love this.
5: I love this. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I don't have anything backing that up, so don't expect no. a follow-up. I'm just leaving it at that and moving on.
2: Here, here's Let's refine this take because I think this is a good one. Leonard Fournette is a great example of what culture can bring to a team because like, there was a point last year where he was, like, they were, uh, Arians has talked about this. They were, like, going to cut him. Because he wasn't buying in to like the system, to the program, to like basically his role on the team. They had to have a sit down with him. And basically he was like, All right, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna buy in. And he had this incredible playoff run. Like, honestly, like if you look at the numbers, it's like a historic playoff run for any running back ever, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so I think he's like a great like not to like like lessen your hot take, because I love that hot take, but I think he's a good example of what buy in and what like the team can do like what, how important it is, like, be a part of like a team, play a role on a team. So, um, but I also just like that he is the culture in Tampa Bay that's better.
0: Steven, who has a better <laughs> chance of winning two Super Bowl rings first from the 2017 draft, Fournette or Patrick Holmes?
2: I think
5: you have to say it's Fournette yeah. <laughs> because he's a winner, because he's a winner, and it's because he's a winner, it has nothing yeah. to do with anything else. Yeah, he's, <laughs> so a he's a winner, and he
0: was the pick. If anything, if you redraft that
5: draft, Fournette should
0: go second because he's
5: a according to 538. Lenny has a 17% chance of winning the second ring, while wow. Pat Mahomes only has a 12% chance. Wow, analytics, baby, analytics. Um, all right, so my my second one is also my third one,
0: because um, they're they're related. I picked the Seahawks to make the playoffs because I thought that Russell Wilson was the type of quarterback with a new Danny Kelly had talked me into all the layups that Russell Wilson was going to get in the Shane Waldron offense. How's that going, yep. brother?
5: Yeah, okay. that's, that's um, wait, 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 wait. That's my third take too. So can too. I get in and on it? Oh, no, okay. we, 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 We're we can. All in we,
0: we, we okay. <laughs> so we can. We can all talk about this. Yeah. But I I need to do mine because mine relates to something else. So we'll, let's let's shell the Seahawks talk for a second. here. Okay. I was so so anti Cardinals coming into this year. I was hmm. so anti Cliff, and it wasn't. It actually had nothing to do. I picked Kyler Murray. did I pick Kyler Murray with the MVP last year? Like I I I, I picked um the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Niners to make the playoffs. And I thought that I was just totally convinced that Cliff was going to be fired, not because of anything Cliff did, not because of anything Kyler did, not because J.J. Watt was a bad signing, or A.J. Green wasn't really helping um, coming into the season. That, that, you know, I the, the, the My take was just that everybody else is better, and Cliff's going to feel the brunt of it. And I was completely wrong. I believe I went on Cowherd and used the phrase, pray for Cliff. Because of how good, how stacked the NFC West was going (laughs) to be, and old take exposed me there, and uh, I did not understand how much talent they had. I did not understand how much the other teams would struggle. I thought Trey Lance, (coughs) excuse me, I thought Trey Lance was going to be, as I said many times, a scheme expansion for for Kyle Shanahan. I thought Russell Wilson uh, was better than this, Um, Mm -hmm. or was better than his surroundings would, would be able to elevate. So that's my my cliff take. I'm sorry about that. Hand up. Bad take. Um, Now let's get to the Seahawks take. Steven, take it away.
5: Yeah, I I thought this new offense would be awesome for us, and it's because of the layups and the play-action passing. And, like, he's been, like, the best play-action passer of all time this season. Like, at one point, a couple (laughs) weeks ago, he he had, like, an accuracy rate of 100 on play-action passes, which is ridiculous. (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Well, the issue is that, the under center play action game doesn't really mesh well with what Russ does in the drop back passing game. He mm-hmm. is, I know we don't like to say it because he's a shorter guy and like it goes against the notion that you can't draft short quarterbacks, but like he, he has problems seeing it, seeing the fields from the pocket. It's a true thing. He mm-hmm. likes to be in the gun and that's where he's at his best. And I think it's hard to mesh those two things. So maybe this offense isn't the best. Maybe they need to go back to the old OCs, whether it's Schottenheimer or daryl bevel which i know danny doesn't want to hear please no <laughs> um, well, D- daryl bevel's getting his resume grilled down in jacksonville so i'm sure yeah, he would not love going to come well. back to seattle my my new take was going to be that uh seattle should trade its offensive coordinators to jacksonville or its offensive oh. coordinator to jacksonville for its two offense kind of offensive coordinators i know like oh has the title switch Bevel me, and Schalheimer?
2: yeah, yeah. That's happened before, right? Like teams have fired a coordinator and then brought him back later. I'm, I'm blanking on when that's happened, but I I feel like that has happened before in the past. So there, there is precedent for this.
5: That isn't the new take I settled on, though. I have an, another new take, but oh I'll, I'll save that one. I'll save that one. Okay. It's, okay. Because <laughs> it's not Danny? football related. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not football. Just wait. Okay. No, just just, just,
0: just <laughs> directing traffic wise, you want me to go to Dana to get a Seahawks take, then you want me to return to you for a take that does not involve football?
5: It does involve football, but it's okay. not like me. It's about <laughs> you, actually. It's about you. Thank oh. you. Um, that's 15th. that's what this whole show is about. Um,
0: Danny.
2: Yeah. So, give us your Seahawks
0: take.
2: I'm, I'm basically the same. Like, I bought into the Seahawks. I bought into the narratives of the offseason. Um, I look back now, and I had the Seahawks as the number eight team in my preseason rankings, and after week one, I had moved them up to number three. And obviously, I regret that a lot, like. And, and I think, honestly, if you look, if you watch the first game when they played the Colts, like the optimism was sort of warranted. Like if they would have kept playing like that, like th- it would have been a different story. Obviously, that's like you could say that with a lot of teams that if they played as well as they did in that one good game, like, you know, they'd be a good team. So like my mistake was basically buying into everything that Steven just explained, like this undercenter center game. Basically, the Rams offense was going to work really well. Um you know this the first game against the colts like the seahawks were doing all this pre-snap motion where they had and, and i did a cut up of all of the all 22 was like literally a lot of the time you couldn't even tell where the ball was going like was su- it was such good it looked it looked so perfect like the way that they were like meshing play action with um you know like different blocking schemes up front where they were having guys pull they were having guys like slice across the formation you know to block and all this stuff it was like very cool and i was so excited about this and i and, and then combined with like my optimism for Shane Waldron coming into the season, basically this Rams offense in Seattle. um, I definitely just like, I drank the Kool-Aid man. And then obviously everything kind of fell apart. The injury to Russell Wilson was a factor, but like before that they were still struggling. Um, They don't, they didn't seem to have any identity on offense. And, you know, I I guess basically I, I I did not expect sort of everything like the bottom to fall out for the Seahawks this year. Um, This is something that we've talked about for, for years now, like Russell Wilson elevates the Seahawks from, what would be probably a, a average to below average team into like a consistent 10 win contender. And yep. look, this might honestly happen again. If they the, the Seahawks have to play the Rams, Seahawks have to play the Rams this week, and they're on like intensive code of pro- protocols. And then they finish off the year, I think, with the Bears and some other bad team. I can't remember. Like it, it, they, they basically have the chance to run the table, win nine games, and make the playoffs still. So like th- this might be premature, but like, Still, I just don't see the Seahawks as, like, the team I saw them before before the season. I don't think that the Shane Waldron, um, like, experiment is necessarily working, at least not yet. And so, um, I guess my new take would be I should have been more dubious of the Seahawks here coming into the season just based on, like, the draft history, like, the, the fact that, you know, they've had all these bad drafts, had bad free agent classes. The infrastructure just was not there for them to be quite as good as I thought they'd be.
0: It's probably a bad sign that we all had. I was wrong about the Seahawks being good picks, Danny. Yeah. 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 Um
5: Steven, your last take. Okay. My new take is that you, Kevin Clark, you should delete the tweet. The oh, tweet. so <laughs> I, people the have power. asked me
0: about that. Okay. So, so just so everybody knows, um, I tweeted two years ago during a Niners game, uh, Niners Seahawks game, that the Seahawks have literally never played a normal game. And <laughs> since then, every on a near weekly basis, something weird happens in the Seahawks games, and people retweet that. And people ask me to retweet it, and there's a discourse about it and all that stuff. And so there have been people saying that as just like a chaos agent, I should delete it because people look for it every <laughs> single week. I've yeah. thought about that. I also just like, I don't know, it can get annoying sometimes where it's just like, eh, people, I'm like doing something else, people like acknowledge the tweet. Um, but
2: acknowledge the tweet
5: no I get it all the time dude look at my mentions during a Seahawks game people would be like dude the it's, tweet warm it's like it up me, it's like me whenever like a new uh, Fox cartoon comes out I always get tagged I've, I've seen all the cartoons stop tagging me on the cartoons like I've seen Ben Roethlisberger's cartoon a million times right um, and so
0: I've thought about that but so you're, you're saying that I should delete it because um,
5: that way the Seahawks would be freed from this particular bit of chaos Oh, no, no. It has nothing to do with the Seahawks. I only wish poor things for the Seahawks. I'm not a Seahawks (laughs) fan at all. I hope Danny never sees a good football team again. (laughs) No, I think you should delete it just to add to the lore of it. You remember when, like, this was like a couple years ago, and I might have all the details wrong about the story, but I think, like, Banksy auctioned off a a work of art, and then it, like, self-destructed immediately after the person bought it. Oh, yeah. It's one of those deals. Like, it just adds to the legend. I actually Googled this last night to see if there were screenshots on the internet anywhere. There's one. We need to get Sean, Yu to delete his tweet, screenshotting your tweet, so that there are no screenshots. No one can ever replicate <laughs> it again. Should I sell it as an NFT and delete? Yeah, it? Yeah, you should. That was going to be the joke I made, but I feel like NFT jokes kind of. Uh, all right. Okay, you know,
0: I have, I have actually. A couple months ago, this maybe. No joke. There have been multiple <laughs> T-shirt companies who contacted me asking if I would sell the rights to the tweet. And <laughs> you haven't. Why didn't no. you? No, I don't. I don't want to be like. What what's the point of that?
5: This is uh... also like
0: I kind I kind of want to like open negotiations just to find out how much they would pay for the rights. To the tweet. <laughs> also, I don't think they need my permission for that.
2: You know what this reminds me of? This is exactly. Could you like imagine
0: the... me going to my bosses and being like, "I need to know if it's allowed that I could sell a tweet to a T-shirt company"? Like the shame of that is why I'm not doing it.
5: What no, were you I say, think. Danny? You should do it.
2: You should do it. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter called Bronze Hammer who tweeted the infamous, yeah. well, I'd like to see Donnie Jr. Yeah. or Donnie Trump like Trump. wriggle his way out of this situation. Ah, none, nonetheless or nevertheless. Nevertheless, yeah. And then he accident. And so like this every, like for like four straight years, this got retweeted like on a daily basis. This was like the biggest retweeted tweet ever. And then he accidentally deleted it. <laughs> and he's like, and everyone's like, where is it? Like everyone was so sad that it was gone. So I think this is what Steven's trying to get you to do here.
0: It's yeah. under consideration. It's under advisement. The problem is the Seahawks are a mess right now, and they aren't playing normal games. This isn't yeah. like, <laughs> it's kind of like selling hot. Yeah, it's like the old night at, in, in Indiana Jones. Like, I'm just waiting around for it to be released from this, but I haven't yet. No one's come and and been drank from the correct cup. <laughs> I mean, if I Pete Carroll... Leaves and they become a normal team, and they're coached by like Brian Daybol. We can have a different conversation.
5: Sure. Yeah, but I That's feel like you they're it right they're there, still yeah. going to play a couple like weird games every year, and people are still going to tweet it. And then it's going to lose the spirit of the tweet and why you sent it. Preemptively, you could avoid that by. The it used to be about
0: the weird games, man. Used to be pure. <laughs>
5: Right, <laughs> It isn't pure anymore. I got to say, it's been commercialized, as evidenced by a t-shirt company hey, trying I'm to sell. I'm not selling
0: it. it. I'm not selling it.
5: The it's the beyond your control right now. That's why I'm saying, delete the tweet, take back the power. It's yours. <laughs> delete the tweet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, holidays are coming up, so a couple programming notes. Regular show on Sunday. Myself, Solak, Nora Princiati, Stephen Ruiz. Uh, normal stuff there. During the week, Nora and I will be together on Tuesday for a special midweek crossover episode. Preview show on Wednesday, so the normal Friday show moves to Wednesday. No shows Thursday and Friday. Enjoy the holidays. The player show, including our buddy James Jones, will be back in two weeks. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for his production help with additional production supervision by Arjuna Ramkabal. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.